0: Hi, welcome to this Pockets of Peace podcast put together by the Faith and Reflection team at Bournemouth University and the Arts University, Bournemouth. This first episode was recorded on the 11th of November 2020, Armistice Day, and highlights a shared conversation between local faith leaders as part of Interfaith Week. The conversation took place over Zoom and was facilitated by Father Andrew Wagstaff, the university's Catholic chaplain. You'll hear from Rabbi Maurice Michaels of the Bournemouth Reform Synagogue, Rabbi Jesna from the Bournemouth Hebrew Congregation, and Sue Burt, the University's International Chaplain, who works for Friends International. The conversation centres on what peace means for each person from their faith perspective, and looks at the commonalities and challenges of engaging in dialogue and work for peace in our current times. I'm Reverend Ruth Wells, Senior Chaplain for the Universities and I hope you enjoy this little pocket of peace.
1: Um, I've asked everyone, please, to, to give a, a contribution from your own faith perspective on the subject of peace. Um, And I thought, unless anybody's got any other uh, proposal, that we might begin by asking Rabbi Jesner to speak, then ask Sue, and then Rabbi Morris, and then once everyone's spoken, perhaps have a a discussion among ourselves about what's been said. Would that sound okay? Mm, Thank you. Mm. Well, over to you, Rabbi Jesner. Thank you.
2: We say in our prayers, every, first of all, I'd like to thank you all for getting together. And I think it's important that we rep- we're represented by a voice that speaks on behalf of all of us and that we, we are in uh, sync with each other. Yes. The, the main idea of the concept of peace we say in the prayers, O says shalom bim rama, who brings peace from on high, who ya shalom, he will make peace. Alinu for us, but I'll call Yisrael for the whole house of Israel, Amen, and we all say amen to that. But what what is it, the concept of peace itself? Peace itself is a people have to have peace of mind. B people have to want to live together. In other words, the Almighty, as I believe, facilitates this concept of peace. But people have to want to live together in peace and harmony. And the the late Chief Rabbi Lord Jakobitz used to speak about dignity of difference. In other words, you may have an opposing view to somebody else, but you can still be dignified and respectful to their point of view and to your point of view. And when you do something like that, it creates uh, a means of peace, it creates a means of harmony and understanding rather than discord and conflict. You know, the Bible begins. With the book of Genesis, and I don't need to tell you people what it is because we all understand it. It talks about, and each of the days, it talks about division. Every single day, it talks about division. Bar the third day, the third day it plants fruit trees, etc., etc., etc. The other days with division: the earth and the sea, the night and the day, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The water and the land. There was always division, and the idea is that we shouldn't have division. We should be able to talk to each other and we should be able to talk to each other in some means of respect. That's my thought.
1: Thank you,
3: Rabbi. So it's great to take part in this. I guess anyone outside Christianity or indeed other Abrahamic faiths could be forgiven for thinking that our faiths don't have much to do with peace we have a a history of so-called religious wars or wars carried out in the name of religion. And in our scriptures too, there are many examples of battles and bloody scenes of conflict. So peace must mean more than the absence of conflict. I love the Hebrew word for peace, shalom. It's so rich and it can't be translated by one English word. It speaks of completeness, of soundness, well-being. It can include material prosperity, physical safety, but also spiritual well-being. Everything you might want to wish someone for good. I think in order to understand how Christians think about peace, we need to stand back and look at the big picture of our faith. So the rabbi has already referred to Genesis. And at the beginning and end of our scriptures, there is peace. At the beginning, we have the picture of a garden paradise where God is in perfect relationship with his creation and the first humans. And at the end, we have the vision of a heavenly city where we're told there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. What happens between these two pictures? Well, near the beginning, the peace is ruptured and broken. As humans decide to rebel against God and go their own way. Instead of peace, there is conflict. Conflict between people, between people and the created world, and supremely between people and God. It's what we're living in now, this beautiful yet broken world. So how do we, in our faith perspective, get to that final scene, that heavenly city of peace and newness? And that's where we get to the center of our faith, the person of Jesus and what he did to bring peace. Sometimes described as the Prince of Peace, his birth, which we celebrate at Christmas, was announced by angels with the words on earth peace, to those on whom his favor rests. Christians believe Jesus was both God and man. He lived a perfect life, though not without conflict. There were those who didn't like his message or his popularity. And then he died a brutal, agonizing death, surely the very opposite of peaceful. And here is the paradox at the heart of Christianity. It was a picture of Jesus identifying with us in our suffering and our pain, not a distant unfeeling God, but one who comes into our human experience. But Christians also believe that in that act, Jesus paid the punishment for our rebellion. Verses in what we call our New Testament speak of Jesus making peace through his blood shed on the cross and it's captured in the words of a popular song, Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. The great news of Christianity is that we believe Jesus rose again, and some of his first words to his followers after that event were, peace be with you. That peace treaty between God and humanity makes possible all other sorts of unlikely reconciliation There are many beautiful stories of groups of people who'd been divided, being reconciled. But of course, we're not in that end picture yet. We still live in the in-between time, what theologians call the now and the not yet. We're still surrounded by conflict and sometimes we cause it ourselves. Even the Christian life is described as a battle. But as believers in, followers of Jesus, we can know peace in the conflict. On the eve of his death, Jesus gave a lovely promise to his followers. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And one final beautiful encouragement, words that have always meant a lot to me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This isn't just doctrine written on a page, but I and countless Christians have proved it true in experience. Peace when surrounded by uncertainty and confusion. It's perhaps particularly helpful for this time when so many are understandably anxious. In this broken world, we can experience a foretaste of eternal peace to come. And in the meantime, one of our callings is to work for peace. For Jesus himself said, Blessed are the peacemakers.
1: Thank you, Sue.
4: as Sue said, um, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. um, And clearly something which is important within Judaism because the Hebrew Bible has the word 237 times. I I didn't go through checking them up. There's a book which tells me. Um, And clearly it's something to be desired because it's paired in the Bible with so many different verbs, Um, we are told we come in Shalom, we go in Shalom, we go up in Shalom, we go down, we go out, we return, we dwell, we sleep, all in Shalom. And we can be even more practical than that because the Bible uh, commands us to make peace, to search for peace, to seek peace and even to pursue peace. In the books of Psalms and Proverbs, we learn of, of speakers of peace and counselors of peace. And the book of Numbers and the prophets, Ezekiel and Malachi, speak of a covenant of peace. Uh, peace is so, was so, the concept of peace so important that, Many names in the Bible are derived from the word Shalom. Uh, shlomo, Solomon, uh, Shlomi, uh, Salomi, Shlom Tzion, and there are no less than 63 different Shaloms. So clearly, uh, peace or Shalom is something very, very important. Now, generally we think of peace as being the opposite of war. Whether it's Tolstoy's War and Peace or Ecclesiastes, a time for war and a time for peace, that's the way we tend to think of it. But Shalom, as Sue said, means so much more than that. Its first use in the Bible is a message from God to Abraham that he will go to his ancestors in Shalom. Do we have that in, in the English common phrase, RIP, rest in peace? When Jacob meets the shepherds, he asks after his uncle's Shalom, meaning labour is, is labour well. A modern hebrew in, in a modern greeting in hebrew is "Maslamcha." how are you what is your shalom and we all know the story of joseph's uh, brothers finding their money in the sacks with the food and they're 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 fearful when they return to egypt But the servant says to them shalom to you and don't be afraid. So we can see that the word Shalom means so much more. The root from which Shalom comes can mean harmonize, blessing, complete, friendship, being whole, full, well, safe. However, I don't believe that these are different meanings. Shalom, peace, is the combination of all of these things. Well-being, security, living without fear, are all necessary elements of peace. The Actually, the opposite of war is a truce, a lull in the fighting, often unfortunately temporary. Peace, as i tried to demonstrate here, requires so much more. On this Armistice Day and during this Interfaith Week, our hope and prayer must be that the world will give peace a chance. At least twice at every service and Jews pray at least three times each day. We include a prayer, the one that Rabbi Jezna started with, and which I'd like to finish with. It's based on a phrase in the book of Job. And I'll add the words, haolam. May the one who brings peace in the highest bring this peace down to us and to the whole world. Thank you very
1: much, Rabbi Morris. So, I think everybody, in some way or another, has mentioned so far the the tension between um, what we might call the eschatological piece, um, the piece of... The Garden of Eden, the peace of the Covenant, the peace of the Holy City, but also the peace of this world, the peace of dignified disagreement, the peace of um, uh, the peace of um, the absence of war and conflict, the peace of the um, the peace that goes beyond that to being a a, a complete well-being, um, the peace of the nation so I wonder if we could go again um, perhaps this time starting with uh, Rabbi Morris and then Sue and then Rabbi Jesner and just ask ourselves um, what is the prospect for uh, bringing about peace in our time do you think?
4: I think that we live in very difficult times um, where politically and economically there is so much tension between peoples that the the only real way forward is by those of us who have faith who have a religion um, almost taking up the cudgels for peace if that's not an anachronism Um, because we we speak for at least I speak for um, my congregants who find themselves so often worried about where the world is um, they they only see conflict whether it's, at the level of presidential candidates, uh, not being prepared to accept that one has to lose when one week when the other wins, um, they see problems con- between uh, the leaders of countries, between the open tension, the open. I mean, just taking an area that uh, that that we. Uh, probably are not terribly involved with um, but a problem between Armenia and Azerbaijan over a disputed piece of territory which immediately brings in Turkey and Russia and Iran and it's like it's as though we're finding it, it's as though we're with the leaders of, of countries, And I'm not just talking about those, but just using that as an example. The leaders of countries are looking for an excuse for war. Um, They've got to, if there's there's conflict or tension, they they extend it, they enhance it, um, and they look to fight proxy battles. Um, We've seen that horribly, horribly, horribly in the Yemen uh, with Saudi Arabia and uh, Iran, uh, using the, the, the place as a battleground so as to avoid actually fighting each other. And that's the sort of thing that, then that if we don't understand those real uh, political situations, then we have no chance of trying to do anything about it. And I think as as religious leaders, we have a responsibility to bring those matters to the fore. Um, you know, I, I am... I've never been afraid as as a rabbi to talk politics. I don't talk capital. I don't talk capital P party politics. I talk small p politics. I make that very very clear. But everything that as leaders that we as religious leaders we believe in our values and our, have to be involved with politics and economics. We can't not.
1: Thank you, Sue. So from your perspective. Peace in our time? Is it, is it realistic?
3: Um, I think it can happen on a small scale. I think sometimes in wars and conflicts we see peace happen in two different ways. One way is that one party definitely wins and so peace is restored but there's that ongoing tension because there's a, a winner and a loser. Other times peace treaties are brokered they happen they might be a bit uneasy but i think we can all think of times when peace has been brokered between two warring nations two warring factions so and in that i think we just see a little glimpse of the fact that there can be peace that there is a a better creation awaiting us but yeah i i loved what um Rabbi said about peace often being paired with different verbs and that says to me that peace has got to be an active thing, it sounds a very passive thing doesn't it, but actually peace has got to be active, it's something we've got to work towards and often it comes down to the willingness of individuals or countries to want peace and to work towards it and often I think that comes down to relationships I heard um, someone say once that an enemy is the person whose story I haven't heard. And I love that. So people we don't understand people where we think we're different and there's this conflict, but once you've heard the story, once you begin to build relationship, then I think there's hope for peace. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think as people of faith, we should fit in. But, Yeah, I mean, none of us have actually mentioned that S word, sin, but I guess we all believe that there is such a thing as human sin, that rebellion against God. And because of that, I think there's always going to be war. So there's going to be the wonderful examples where you think peace has been achieved in a situation, but then another conflict is going to break out. So I think in this world, we're not going to achieve ultimate peace.
1: Thank you. So, um, I mean, the active, the active peacemaking there is to do with meeting others and uh, trying to understand. So I mm. think it's quite, there's something, uh, a link there to what Rabbi Jesner was saying about dignified disagreement. Mm. Um, I mean, would you say, Rabbi, we need to explore our disagreements if we're to bring about <clears throat>
2: peace? We, we celebrate next month the festival of Hanukkah. festival of Hanukkah is an eight-day festival, and it marks the rededication of the temple, where the temple was plundered and destroyed. They found, you know the famous story, they found a little jar of oil. They thought it was going to last for one day, it lasted for eight days. But there's two messages to Hanukkah, and it affects every single person out there in the marketplace, particularly, The religious leaders number one is that the light of hanukkah has to be a gentle glow that everyone gets a warmth from it rather than turned up full scale where you've got nationalism where you've got um um, extremism all these different things coming because that doesn't work It's never worked. All it's doing is causing more and more conflict. It has to be a gentle glow. And as faith leaders, we're involved in that. But more importantly than that, there's a question on the Hanukkah candles. Do we light one? Or do we light one, then two, then three, then four, then five, to publicize the of Hanukkah? So we say, according to the rules of Bet that we like the first night, one, then the second night we like two, third night, three, but we start from the, from the third night. So the third night we like three, two, one, four, three, two, one, et cetera, et cetera. What is the idea of the 8, 7, six, five, 4, three, two, one? The 8, seven, six, five, 4, three, two, one is for us as religious leaders to pass on that torch of peace, and of hope. To say there's no hope, it's not going to work. There's always hope. We always have to live with the faith, that inner faith, that the, what the Almighty does, whilst you and I don't understand it, because we look only at one side of the mirror, the Almighty sees both sides of the mirror. And when he's looking at the other side of the mirror, what may not be good for me today may be good for me in... 10 years time or maybe good for my grandchildren in 40 years time but it's still right because we say in the book of of Lamentations there is no evil emanating from on high God doesn't cause war man causes war so in other words as faith leaders if we can create a gentle glow that people come along in all the faiths and take warmth from it and comfort and understanding, you can take away 90 to 95% of the conflict in this world. Because in the olden days, wars were always fought, unfortunately, over religion for some unknown reason. The religion always came into it. Some, somehow or another, it came in. So therefore, to create a gentle glow, to create what I said, dignity of difference that we understand each other and it's a case of not he's got and I want what he's got it's a case of to let to teach yourself that that's what God gave you if that's what you've got if that's your portion in this world deal with it get on with it be as good as you can at doing it but what somebody else has got it's not your business let them go on with it they may have you know everybody says if you take your troubles and you put them up in the wall in a, in a bag and everybody puts their troubles in a bag and says, OK, go and choose whatever troubles you want. You take your own troubles back again. Why? Because okay. you can deal with your own troubles. You can't deal with other people's troubles. And so therefore, it's for us as religious leaders to try to create this warmth where people understand and they want to hear the word of God. They want to hear the word of the Lord however you want to say it, however you want to spell it out, however it comes. But if you have that gentle glow, I believe that the world could be a better place to live in.
1: Thank you. You know, if, if, I, if Ruth was still, uh, wasn't on the school run and uh, was still able to contribute, I'm sure she'd have something to say about um about small things so he's back now uh ruth rabbi Jessner was just talking about the gentle glow of hanukkah and um, how that contrasts with perhaps the stridency of some some approaches to the world um nationalism and extremism Uh, what do you think about small things and peace would you say i know that's one of your
0: interests Mm. yeah there's a really lovely campaign the student union is running at the arts university called the small things matter. And they're kind of promoting this message around taking care and paying attention to those little things that kind of bring joy or give a sense of peace or around self care or compassion. And I, I feel really drawn to that. I think in a world where particularly now things feel out of control, actually taking time to be mindful about those things that we do have control over, about, you know, finding, I talk about pockets of peace, but finding pockets of peace, those little glimpses of uh, small things. And I guess kind of being uh, dwelling in those and being conscious of those, I think yeah in the grand scheme of things where nothing feels like it's within our control those little things are really important.
1: If anyone would like to jump in and uh, don't don't feel you need to await an invitation from me but um, thank you very much for that Ruth.
2: I I saw a program this morning on television I was watching the news and it's what Ruth was saying small things matter they were, what they were doing was, there's a, I forget the guy's name, but he's organized for water sports for disabled children. And he goes surfing. He takes them surfing on the sea. And the smile on their faces when I saw it this morning was amazing. I mean, they're, they're going maximum 50 yards, <clears throat> but the joy and happiness and the smile of them was just amazing to watch. These kids that are kind of, you know, disabled, unfortunately, they're left behind. And here's a guy who's taking these kids out on a raft, on a board, and he's helping them, and he's making their day. That nah, these little things you're talking about, Ruth, that's what matters. That's what helps promote, you know. People watching that this morning are not saying, well, uh, let Boris Johnson take the first uh, a, a, a injection. This is something that's reality. This is something that people are doing. And that's what you have to promote. Hmm.
1: May I just ask, perhaps another question now? Um, we've, I think, we've talked a little bit about um, what what the what the role of the almighty might be in bringing about peace um probably you mentioned that the almighty um no evil comes from the almighty and i think in the catholic tradition there's, there's a similar idea st augustine said that god does not allow, uh does not um cause evil and if he allows it it is because he can bring a greater good from it um, now we live in a time of, I would say, comparative peace here in Europe in the 21st century. But of course, when we look back, uh, we can see that there have been great sacrifices made by, by those who've gone before us uh, in war. Um, what would you, each of our perspective be perhaps on, on the sense of looking back with gratitude as a way of um, sowing peace in our own time um, perhaps I might begin with Sue this time.
3: Do you mean looking back with gratitude on our history or personally?
2: What,
1: what Well, I see you're wearing a poppy and me. this is perhaps a sign of our, the gratitude of others who made their sacrifices in the past.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah I think. Today is, as we've said, Armistice Day. I think looking back and remembering is really important, especially in a world that seems to value the instant and the new. And there's lots of good things about new things. I'm not trying to say there isn't, but I think if we lose that sense of history and what has gone before us, then that's very dangerous. So, And gratitude in itself is a really powerful thing. I think, you know, we've we've got a world that's full of people moaning at the moment, haven't we, in many ways? Mm. Sometimes justly, sometimes unjustly, but we look at our own country, which is relatively well off and doing okay, compared with many countries, and Yemen's been mentioned, we think of some of the countries that are really struggling in this present situation. And yet people are finding so much to complain and moan about. And I think gratitude is a really powerful antidote to moaning. Because, yeah, there's always things we can find that aren't going well. But to be thankful, it just changes us. And then that changes the way we are in the world, I think, and how we are to be with. So, yeah, really important to look back and remember with gratitude And I think it's been very moving to hear over the last few days, some of the stories of those who lived through some of the conflicts and their recollections. I always find that very moving. So yeah, important for us as as a collective group of people, I think, but also important for us as individuals to be grateful.
1: Thank you, thank you. Rabbi Morris, what would your approach be to, uh, to remembrance and gratitude?
4: Um, the Hebrew word for remember is achor, um and it figures uh, lots of times also in, 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 the, in the Torah. Um, remembering is something that's very powerful because remembering has within it the subcontext, as it were, of remember so that you don't let it happen again. Um, or so that if it was good, you can use it as an example you can use it uh, to as, you know for, for for the future for others as well um certainly uh in my services uh, uh last shabbat uh, i included reference to armistice day as i would every year um i and i'm sure rabbi jesna similarly were very upset um that the faith groups were not included in the many in the minimal um rem- commemoration that was held at the town hall and uh, the uh, war memorial in bournemouth today um i know that the mayor had requested that we should be but it didn't happen um so you know we had to do our own thing and that was fine uh you know with my co- congregants on uh, Shabbat we, we we remembered we said some prayers um and um we we pray we thank god for the fact that um you know europe has been without a major war for you know um nearly well for 75 years and uh, you know and that's something which, we couldn't necessarily have expected with the frequency of wars prior to that. Um, so, remembering, very very important, um, and gratitude. Yes, of course, um, we should always be thankful for for what we get. I mean, I I know in Christianity the Lord's Prayer, uh, you know, is is all about you know thanking God for for our daily bread, as it were. Uh, So gratitude is something which is inbred in us, or should be. Um, But it's not just to God. It's for everybody who helps, who supports, who volunteers. Um, Ruth was talking about the small things. Uh, And of course, you know, lots and lots of people are doing small things. Um, And the gratitude that others have for that is is great. Um, This Sunday uh, in the Jewish calendar is Mitzvah Day. Uh, it's a day when uh, lots of people will be things for others. Um, my message to my congregants uh, in, in our weekly email was, um, I know you can't go out and do the big things this year, but just do some little thing that you wouldn't otherwise do. You know, if it's phony, you that aunt who you keep promising to phone, but you dread it because she always moans go make that phone call. Uh, You know, if you're worrying about the neighbour next door but you're a little bit afraid because you don't want to interrupt with what they might be doing, go and check on them. So those little things that we've talked about come very strongly in Mitzvah Day. But the importance of it is that the person who is helped is then given the blessing of being grateful. Um, you know, when we we'll do something for somebody else we, we, it, it, it's not just they who uh, receive something, we receive something as well, there's a satisfaction in doing
1: Thank you Thank you um, Rabbi Jesner
2: We say in the prayers on Saturday morning Nishmat Kol Chai Tavarech Shimcha The breath of life of every single person is there to bless the almighty in any which manner you wish. During the conflict of 14 to 18, 39 to 45 and subsequent conflicts, people sacrificed, made the ultimate sacrifice in order that you and I can be sitting here today having a chat over the computer in order to, on this Remembrance Day, the 11th of the 11th, in order to commemorate and to bless and remember these people as they say, they shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Right? We will remember them at the going down of the sun. What is it we're remembering? A, we're remembering the sacrifice that they gave. B, we're remembering that they left loved ones, people who they were really close to, and went into a world that they never knew existed. Nobody is born with a rifle in their hand, grenade, or a gun, or whatever. And it brought home to me one of my congregants, when we make the memorial prayer every year, and I mention the unfortunate the Holocaust that took place amongst the Jewish community in 1939 and 45, he said to me, He said, Rabbi, can I ask you a favor, please? I said, What is it? He said, When you go to mention about the Holocaust can you please tell me in advance and I would like to leave the room. I said, Mm -hmm. why is that because? He said, that is because I was there when they liberated Belson and I get terrible, terrible flashbacks that come to me when you get up to speak. So whenever you speak, before you do it, could you tip me off, please? I never thought of it like that before. Never Mm -hmm. crossed my mind. He was a guy who was 18 years old He went through Anzio, came right up through Italy. There were 170 guys in his uh, unit and when they came to, when they finished the war, there was maybe six of them left because they added on, you know, uh, reservists came in and whatever came in, but six of the originals were left and he said he was blessed. He was lucky. He was lucky. And I, like Rabbi Morris, was also disappointed because it's the first time in 14 years I was not able to stand at the Cenotaph and I stood on Sunday morning for the two-minute silence at the television watching in the Cenotaph in London, saying to myself, they paid, they paid a price, and I can't even go to pay my respects. And all I'm doing is I'm going to wear a mask, I'm going to stand two feet away or six feet away from whatever, but I can't go. And these people paid the price. And I felt... I don't want to use the word fraud, but I felt as though there was a certain injustice. I have to accept the law of the land that I wasn't allowed to go, I accept that, but I felt it was a slight injustice that the the clergy, the clay cottage, the people that represent faith in the town weren't allowed to be there. That was sad. I don't say it was indicative of the situation. I just say Mm -hmm. it was sad that they had got to the stage where the clergy were forgotten about, you know, we weren't allowed to be there. There wasn't room, so to speak. There wasn't room at the inn that the clergy could come in as well, which is a which is a a, a sad case. So, regarding remembrance, as Rabbi Morris said, it is important. Zocher We have to remember what happened, either for to learn from the bad, or to learn from the good and to carry it on. And that is the, that is the message. That we shouldn't we should try to learn not to repeat the mistakes of the past and we should try to avoid conflict of any nature and through our stepping back from this situation then this then it will be that the world could be as i say a better place for us to live in for our children our grandchildren thank you
3: Andrew I, I was thinking too that on the subject of remembering that both our face have an annual calendar of remembering so we go through our different festivals and I think that just points to me that as humans we can easily forget and we need those annual reminders of what's happened in our history so mm-hmm. inbuilt built into both our face there's this annual rolling program isn't there of, remembering and looking back and I just think that maybe during lockdown some of the we've only been able to do that in a limited way and I wonder if that will have an effect on our faith as we can't celebrate together some of these um big festivals yeah just a thought
1: well I hope it I hope it doesn't I hope that um I hope that we can still, each in our own way, even if it's just spending two minutes today, mm. uh, remembering those who, who didn't come back and those who came back, but will never be the same. Um, it, that, that we each of us uh, in our country, whether we whether we have faith or not, can can spend some time remembering the past and, and doing our best to learn its lessons and not to re- to, to repeat its mistakes. I wonder if if we, I know I said we wouldn't go on before beyond four, but I, I wonder if we might have just a little time for a few concluding remarks, if there's anything that anyone would like to say in conclusion um, uh, to, 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 to uh, wrap up what we've been talking about today. Perhaps if I begin with Rabbi Morris.
4: <clears throat> I, I, I would just like to thank uh, you uh, and Ruth for organising this, um, I think it's been very helpful uh, because, uh, uh, as Sid just now said, uh, and Rabbi it before, that we weren't able to really um, remember in the way that we would normally do. Mm-hmm. And having the opportunity of doing so together uh, with uh, this, this group together has been helpful. Um, it's taken away some of that, um, if you like, frustration um uh, uh, not being able to do and 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 disappointment and disappointment um it's been something that's been so much part of uh you know my life for you know for almost uh, for almost as long as i can remember um you know the, the 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 i i lived in london for most of my life and you know the the trip to the cenotaph on remembrance day or then the sunday closest to it was an absolute part of our family calendar, um, you know, uh, even to the and, and And over the years, as I became involved in different organisations um, and was representing them at, on that occasion, even um, it, they was, it became so much more important. And, and this year, I, I just felt um, an, an absence, uh, you know, if, dare I say, it, almost a grief um that you know a loss of not being able to um remember in the traditional way and so being able to do that i think with this group has been really helpful so i thank you for that
1: thank you um sue any concluding remarks from you please
3: um likewise just uh thank you for organizing it and allowing us to participate i think as we've talked about war and conflict it's come out a few times hasn't it that it's it's often based on misunderstandings and people don't know each other and that actually relationship and deeper understanding is part of the path to peace so I think yeah it's great even if we hold different perspectives on things we can hear each other with respect and learn from each other and I think that's really important and something we want to model in this very fractured world
1: Thank you thank you and last word rabbi
2: jesna 1st i'd like to say thank you andrew for putting it together the message that i would like to say regarding this lockdown covid situation is there's always something the almighty is trying to teach us what is he teaching us during this time well i learned on passover and on the jewish new year something very interesting. You don't need the razzmatazz. You don't need all the thrills and spells or whatever. The intensity of and the joy of just sitting down with my wife without the children, without the grandchildren, which is very sad they weren't there, but without them all, it was just the two of us. The intensity of the joy of the festival didn't leave us. It came to us in a different way. My my wife's son, Dan, got married. Uh, three weeks ago there was 15 of us at the wedding but the intensity of the joy the Almighty didn't take that away from us it may have taken away the guy who said listen I could have sat in the front seat I didn't get to sit in the front seat and you put me you put me behind a pillar and I couldn't see anything and I didn't get this table didn't get that table all that's gone the Almighty saying to us it's a different world just now it's a world of intensity intensity of love, intensity of joy, intensity of joy in the festivals. And this intensity did not leave me when I stood on Sunday in the house. It wasn't the same, it wasn't the same atmosphere, but the Almighty gives me the ability to create that own atmosphere myself. I created that atmosphere within myself of remembrance on Remembrance Sunday. So whilst I didn't have to go and park the car here, there, and run and get dressed, wherever, I still felt it. And that's what the Almighty is teaching us. It's not a matter of having to have hundreds of thousands of people running around Oxford Street and Regent Street buying presents, buying this and this. It's the intensity of the joy of the festival. That's what it's all about. That's what we remember. Thank you.
3: Well,
0: I hope you enjoyed being immersed in some of that discussion. There's an awful lot to process. I came away thinking about this idea of dignified disagreement as a path to peace, highlighting the importance of hearing one another's stories as a way of finding understanding and overcoming fear of the other. As you heard, I am really drawn to the small things being the things that matter. And in these strange times, maybe there's mileage in finding ways of creating and shaping our own acts of remembering, dwelling in the little joyous moments and taking time to ask, what can we learn here?